Okay, I think there's there's a little bit of tension here in my mind with, with the readings. So I, I know I've been doing this a lot lately, but I just invite you to pull out. This is this to me. It's, it's something that I think it's helpful to see. Uh, so pull out your missalette and open up to page 61. Uh, we're gonna flip back and forth between the first reading and the gospel because to me that's where that's where the tension is. So um, the the reading begins uh, this this nice reading from the book of wisdom. It begins by talking about this. Okay, there's no god besides you who have the care of all that you that you need to show that you have not unjustly condemned. But then, then it says this, for your might is the source of justice. Your mastery over all things makes you lenient to all. To me, I mean, even, even before we get to the gospel passage, to me, this is, this is like, oh man, this is different because th just think about how we typically think of God in the Old Testament. It, it seems like, and maybe, maybe I'm mistaken about this, but it seems like most often when people consider God in the Old Testament, they consider that he's just like angry and vengeful and always looking to punish. But here, the, this reading, which comes from the Old Testament, is telling us, speaking to the Lord, that his might is the source of justice and that, that because he's so powerful, because he's so strong, it actually allows him to do what? To be lenient to all. Right? That, that he's, he's lenient, which... It's like, that's, that's not, that doesn't sound like an angry, vengeful God who's just looking to punish. That, that sounds like something different. It sounds like a God who's looking for an opportunity to, to let someone off the hook. And in fact, later on in the reading, it talks about how with, with much lenience, you govern us. It, it talks about how he judges with clemency. Clemency, what, what is that? It's like a mildness, that the Lord's judgment is not harsh, but it's, it's actually mild. So that, even before we get to the Old Testament, or before we get to the gospel, that in itself is just like, okay, that's different. But then when you flip to the, the gospel passage, so that's on page 63, and when we get to the explanation of the parable down at the bottom, th this, is, this is wild. So again, just a little rehashing of the parable. This, this guy sows good seed, and then in the middle of the night, his enemy comes and sows bad seed, so that the good seed and the bad seed grow up in his field, and, and he's patient, and he's like, okay, well, we can't uproot the weeds, because if we do that, it, it might ruin everything for the wheat. And so we got to let it happen. But then when everything grows, it's like, okay, go and, and collect the weed, the weeds and burn them up. And Jesus talks about, you know, the, the explanation of this is that the, the weeds, it says, what are, are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. So again, this is, this is something that I, I know I talk about this all the time, but it's something that we don't talk about much. And it's, it's uncomfortable for us to, to acknowledge that the devil has children, right? Children of the evil one. This, this is like, it's uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable even to suggest that this might be the case. Because we see all people as like children of God and, and beloved children of God and, and all these things. But then to talk about how this person or that person may or may not be a child of the evil one. It's, it's just uncomfortable even suggesting that we might do that. And yet, this is what Jesus says. And, and again, for us as Catholic Christians, if, if we don't take Jesus at his word, then our faith ultimately is empty faith. Because if we don't even believe what Jesus says, then why would we believe anything? So we, we got to at least believe the words that Jesus says that come out of his mouth. So, so there's that. But then it, it goes on to talk about how the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. And just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace 
where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. This sounds more like the God of the Old Testament that, that we typically think of. You see, this is where the tension is that, that our readings, they present, it seems like they present two different realities about God, but then on top of that, it's like they've inverted what we typically think of. We typically think of God as angry and vengeful and looking to punish in the Old Testament, while we think of God in the New Testament as being kind and merciful and, and compassionate. When here, the, word, the very words of Jesus talk about how there's a hard judgment coming for people, the children of the enemy, the, uh, the children of the evil one. And, and I, I know that, that sometimes you guys might, might listen to me talk about this because I talk about judgment pretty frequently. I, it feels like I'm maybe driving the judgment bus sometimes, right? Uh, and, and, and hopefully you also hear me talking about how like, well, what does Jesus say? So it's not so much that, that it's just like all fire and brimstone. It's, it's just that Jesus himself talks about judgment a lot. And whenever he talks about judgment, he talks about how there, there's a good judgment that, that, of course, we all want to enter into the barn of the Lord, to enter into the, the joy of the Lord in the kingdom of heaven. But he also talks about how there's another judgment for people who are not part of, like children of, of the Son of Man, but instead people who are children of the evil one and how their judgment is going to be like a wailing and grinding of teeth. And, and if Jesus talks about this again, if Jesus talks about this, then it seems like it would be fitting for us to talk about it so that we're not just pretending that he doesn't talk about it or we're not just trying to overlook his teachings, especially those things that he talks about most often. Now, what the tension in my mind is this, that, okay, well, if, if the Lord is lenient to all, as it says, but then Jesus talks about how there's a, a significant portion of people who will be judged unfavorably, how, how does that work? It seems like Jesus is talking about there's a lenience that, that doesn't come through for some people, that, that not everyone experiences the leniency of the Lord or the mildness of the Lord, but instead that, that some people actually, it seems like they kind of go above and beyond in such a way that, that the forgiveness of the Lord is not there for them. And that to me is like, okay, well, where's the tension? And I think, again, we can, we can actually go back to the first reading and there's, there's a really strong hint about what's going on here. So we talked about how the might of the Lord is the source of justice and his mastery over all things makes him lenient to all. But then there's this next sentence where it says, you show your might when the perfection of your power is disbelieved. So he's talking about, okay, when, when people disbelieve the Lord, when, when people doubt him, that's when the Lord begins to show his power. And then this next line, in those who know you, you rebuke temerity. So I've, I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite lessons from my time in college was a professor that I didn't particularly care for, but he drilled it into this class that I was in that if, if, you run into, if you're reading something and you run into a word that you don't know what it means, put the thing down and look up the word so that as you're reading it, you know what you're reading. And, and this to me is, is a, a valuable thing uh, in a number of ways because it helps to have clarity about what exactly is going on. So, so first, uh, the Lord rebukes people who, who are, are temerit. Those, he rebukes temerity, right? He, he rebukes this characteristic. So first, what is, what is a rebuke? A rebuke is a sharp um, disapproval or criticism of someone. It's expressing sharply disapproval and criticism. So if the Lord rebukes temerity, 
I don't want to receive a rebuke from him, right? I don't want to receive disapproval from the Lord. And so if he rebukes temerity, then I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living temerity, right? That's what I want to make sure that I'm doing. So what is temerity? Temerity is an excessive confidence or boldness, like audacity. Or think of, think of it's, it's similar to, but not exactly the same as like arrogance. The Lord rebukes arrogance. This is something that, that um, is really clear in the Bible, and this is consistent throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that the Lord has a particular care, a particular love for people who recognize their own poverty, for people who recognize their own imperfections, their own uh, tendency toward pride, and those who are quick to repent. In fact, if you look at the very end of our, our first reading, it says, uh, you gave your children good ground for hope that you would permit repentance for their sins. For those who repent of their sins, it says that the Lord is lenient toward them, that he's mild in his judgment toward them. But for those who, who have temerity, for those who are arrogant, those who are excessively bold in their relationship with the Lord, excessively confident, in, in some ways like presuming that God is going to be merciful to them, it says that the Lord rebukes those people. So now we can take that and we can apply that to our gospel passage. It's like, okay, who are the ones who ultimately are the children of the kingdom? Those who are the children of the kingdom are those who recognize their need for God's mercy. Those who recognize that, that whatever growth, whatever fruit they might bear for the kingdom, for the field of the Lord, it's going to come from him. And those who are the weeds in the field are those who are arrogant, those who are uh, audacious before the Lord, those who, who are presumptuous of the Lord's mercy. This, I think, is so important for us because, again, the Lord talks about a judgment that's coming and there's no middle ground here, which, again, I know can be something that's maybe a little uncomfortable for us because we live in a world, and, may, and maybe some of us talk about this, that we say, well, not everything is black and white, so we don't have to, we don't have to live like everything is black and white. And sure, maybe, maybe there are some, some areas in our life that, that are not black and white, that there is some gray area. But the thing about the Lord, whenever he talks about judgment, he doesn't talk about gray area. He talks about you're either going to enter into the joy of your master or you're going to have a wailing and grinding of your teeth for all of eternity. There's, there's no middle ground here. So when we talk about like not everything needs to be black and white, we need to understand like, sure, maybe there's room for that. But when it comes to the Lord, you're either in or you're out. And, and so as we, as we hear about these things, these characteristics, we, we got to understand we want to be in. Hopefully we want to be in. Hopefully we, we want to be children of the kingdom rather than children of the evil one. And the Lord through these readings is telling us this is a really important step for how to be a child of the kingdom, which is to not be arrogant, to be quick to repent of your sins, to not be prideful and, and excessively bold in your relationship with him, just assuming that he's going to forgive you. This is incredibly, incredibly important. And, and, and part of what makes it incredibly important is that the Lord has given us a way to repent of our sins. Specifically, he's given us the sacrament of reconciliation where we come before him acknowledging our lowliness, acknowledging our failures, and doing it not in a spirit of, of, of boldness or a spirit of arrogance. The Lord has given us teachings in the scriptures and through the church. And sometimes we can come and we can hear these teachings with a spirit of arrogance. I, th I think about this. I know, I know plenty of people in my life that, that maybe they come to Mass on a regular basis, but, but when the preacher talks about how we can't support abortion as Christians, they might say, well, Father, 
I don't care what you have to say about that. I'm not going to listen. Right? Those are people who are excessively bold, excessively confidence, confident in terms of their relation, just assuming that the Lord's going to let them by. I know plenty of people who say, uh, who, who uh, might, might hear a preacher talk about certain things, like whether it's, it's wealth or certain relationships in, in, in people's lives that we just can't support or, 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 or greed or, or whatever it is. Or it's like, Father, don't even bother talking about that because once you talk about it, I'm just going to turn off my ears and I'm going to stop listening. I don't actually care what you say. I know plenty of people who might hear a preacher preach about how we actually need to come to Mass every single weekend and Holy Day of Obligation. And they might say, Father, that's great. That's, that one's not for me. Right? This kind of excessive arrogance or people who, who hear the preacher talk about how we need to go to confession at least once a year or every time we commit a mortal sin before we can receive Holy Communion, they might say, Father, we don't do that anymore. Right? Like sometimes we, we can do this. And I know that sometimes I can do this. When, when someone wants to challenge me on my, the way that I'm living my, my Catholic life, my tendency is, is to get all huffy and stick my heels in the ground and resist them rather than receiving correction with true humility, with, with true submission to the Lord and, and to his, his word and his doctrines. And if I'm unwilling to do that, then, then ultimately the Lord can say, I rebuke you because I rebuke temerity. I rebuke arrogance. I rebuke pride. I rebuke audacity. And if I find that I'm audacious before the Lord, then I deserve his judgment. And so this is, this is the thing. And, and one of the things that I'm, I'm very aware of, as, as I've mentioned before, I'm very aware that, that maybe there have been different priests in your life that have taught you different things. I'm, I'm very aware that, that maybe there was a time in your life when you heard a priest say that it's just not that important that you go to confession. Or maybe I, I know some parishes where the priest came in and he just, like from the, the, the pulpit, he just said, I forgive all of your sins. And he just sort of took that upon himself. And, and if that's the case, like, he was wrong. You got to know that. The doctrines of the church haven't changed regarding the sacrament of reconciliation. The doctrines of the church haven't changed regarding abortion, haven't changed regarding same-sex marriages, haven't, re haven't changed regarding, regarding greed and, and all the different sins out there. Like the doctrines of the church haven't changed. And so if there's been a priest that's, that stood up here and supported you in any of those sinful things, he was wrong and I'm sorry about that. The thing is that we gotta, we gotta humble ourselves before the Lord and let him be the one to guide us, him through the doctrines of his church. To no longer be arrogant, to no longer be audacious. And so I just wanna encourage you, I, I know there's this, this particular congregation of the three that I have, this particular congregation is, is probably the best out of the three as far as going to confession goes. But I also know that there, there are plenty of people in this congregation that don't go to confession. I know there are plenty of people in this congregation that just refuse to. Plenty of people that, that still come forward to receive Holy Communion while in a state of mortal sin. And, and I just, I gotta tell you, I'm a sinner just like you are. I, just this last week, I had to drive to Thief River Falls to go to confession. And I know that I'm gonna have to do that again on a regular basis because, because I myself am a sinner. And I sometimes fail to follow the commands of the Lord. And so speaking as a fellow sinner, but also speaking as your pastor, I, I just, I got to tell you, we can't overlook the judgment of the Lord. And I know maybe it sounds like I talk about the judgment of the Lord a lot. And yes, I know there's room for me to talk about other things, sure. But at the same time, this is something the Lord Jesus speaks about regularly. And it's something that for decades, for whatever reason, different preachers have just 
fail to talk about it. And so what we have now is we have a whole church of people, not just this particular congregation, but we have a whole church of people that think that everyone just gets a free pass to heaven because we've become so accustomed to overlooking what Jesus talks about when he talks about the judgment of the Lord. We have a whole church of people that think that they're all wheat, when in fact it's true that in the midst of us there are some who are weeds. And when we go to the sacrament of reconciliation, different commentators on the scriptures talk about when we go to the sacrament of reconciliation, the Lord by his grace, by his power, can take a weed and change that weed into wheat. In fact, there have been times in my life when, when it, like, there's one time, this was a, a, a while ago, so before I even got to this assignment, this was a while ago, I was, t I was hearing someone's confession who had been away from the sacrament for 50 years. He hadn't been practicing his faith for 50 years, and as he was confessing his sins, I just couldn't help but think, like, this is, this is so incredible that this person had been away for so long, but now, in the twilight of his life, here he is repenting of his sins, allowing the Lord by his grace to change him from one who was a weed, from one who was destined for what the Lord says, being cast into the fiery furnace where there's a wailing and grinding of teeth. He's allowing the Lord to change him into wheat so that he could enter into the barn of the Lord. And he's doing this by acknowledging his failures in humility. He's doing it by no longer being audacious before the Lord, but instead coming before him, recognizing his lowliness and his humility. And this, this, this is really what the gift of reconciliation is all about. It's all about coming before the Lord and receiving lenience from him, receiving mildness from him as he, as he longs to hear you confess your sins so that he can forgive you because he is good and forgiving.